This is Avery After Dark, and I am your host, Avery Ross. We have another very special Christmas episode today. So if you're traveling this week for family get-togethers, or you're in the kitchen cooking and need some entertainment, or you just find yourself needing an escape, this episode is for you. You know, you really can't talk about Christmas, the holiday season, ghosts, spirits, spooky stories without talking about A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Many are familiar with the classic tale of the old greedy Ebenezer Scrooge, who, through a ghostly visit from his former business partner, Jacob Marley, and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and future, achieves redemption. A Christmas Carol is a really touching and moving story and was described as, quote, a national benefit to every man or woman who reads it, a personal kindness. And the actual novella is spoken in much older terminology. It was first published in London in December 1843 and is quite lengthy. So for today's episode, I found a much easier to digest summarized version of the novella that still hits all the points and tells the story really well. But for time's sake, we're going to jump into this summarized version. And like I said, A Christmas Carol was written in 1843. That's a long time ago. But as is with most brilliant writers such as Charles Dickens, their stories transcend time, as every single theme that is touched on in this book is more relevant today than ever. So let's get right into it. This is A Christmas Carol. On a dark and dreary Christmas Eve, a hard-hearted, solitary old miser named Ebenezer Scrooge sits working in his counting house. Though the name over the accounting firm's door reads Scrooge and Marley, Jacob Marley is long gone. He died seven years prior. The weather outside is bitterly cold and inside only a bit better. Suddenly the door opens and Scrooge's cheerful young nephew Fred enters and wishes his uncle a Merry Christmas. Christmas, Scrooge retorts, bah humbug. He asks Fred what he has to be so happy about. After all, he's not even rich. Well, if wealth determines happiness, Fred replies, what has caused Scrooge to be so glum? Celebrating Christmas, Fred continues, may not make people rich, but it is worthwhile. It reminds people of Christ's birth and encourages charity, forgiveness, and consideration of others. Upon hearing these words, Scrooge's clerk, Bob Cratchit, breaks into spontaneous applause. Scrooge tells Bob if he makes another sound, he'll be out of a job, and Bob quickly returns to work. Fred invites Scrooge to spend Christmas Day with him and his wife. When Scrooge declines, Fred wishes his uncle and Bob a Merry Christmas again and then leaves. After hearing his clerk reply in such a kind way, Scrooge muses on the man's stupidity. Like Fred, Bob makes very little money and has a wife and children to support, yet he speaks of a Merry Christmas. And Scrooge's ill feelings only intensify as two men enter his establishment seeking donations for the poor. Scrooge scoffs at the idea. After all, he says, aren't there plenty of debtors' prisons and workhouses for the destitute to go to? When the men protest that such places do nothing to bring joy during the holiday season, Scrooge orders the men to leave. He adds that if the poor would rather perish than go to the workhouse, then good. Their deaths will solve the problem of overpopulation. 
The darkness and cold worsen as the day continues, and Bob Cratchit sits huddled for warmth as Scrooge's office is freezing. Because Scrooge is so greedy, he won't even provide proper heating for his employee. A young boy stops at Scrooge's door to sing a Christmas carol, and Scrooge threatens to beat him with a ruler. At last, the end of the workday comes. As Bob puts on his scarf and hat, Scrooge complains how unfair it is that he has to pay Bob on Christmas Day, even though the clerk won't be working. He warns Bob that he'd better appear at work early on the morning of the 26th and then allows him to leave. Scrooge eats his dinner alone at a tavern and then walks back to his melancholy, broken-down home. As Scrooge goes to open his door, he notices something strange. The ghostly face of Jacob Marley, his late business partner, appears on the door knocker. Scrooge is startled, but quickly brushes the moment aside. Once in his room, Scrooge locks his door securely and sits down by the fire. But as he sits, he again sees Marley's face, this time in the fireplace tiles. Suddenly, bells begin to ring. When they cease, Scrooge hears someone climbing the stairs, dragging what sounds like a thick chain. He tries to convince himself that he's imagining things. But then, a figure walks through the door and into the room. It's Jacob Marley's ghost. Marley looks the same in death as he did in life. Still, Scrooge refuses to believe his eyes. The ghost, he reasons aloud, is probably just a hallucination brought on by indigestion. Marley's ghost then gives a shout, which brings Scrooge to his knees. Okay, Scrooge admits, this ghost is real. He asks Marley what he wants. Marley replies that he is doomed to wander the earth because of his sins. The chain he wears, comprised of cash boxes, accounting books, and deeds, is the one he wrought during his life. Scrooge protests that Marley was a good businessman. Marley retorts that the interests of mankind, not the accounting trade, were his true business, and that he neglected. He tells Scrooge that he has come to try and save his former business partner from sharing this terrible fate. Marley's ghost tells Scrooge, Three spirits will visit him over the next three nights. They're Scrooge's only hope. Marley's ghost floats out of the window, joining legions of other phantoms. And slowly, the vision fades, and Scrooge, exhausted, climbs into bed and falls asleep instantly. Scrooge quickly awakens and hears the clock strike midnight. Knowing that he fell asleep after 2 a.m., he becomes confused. Is it possible he'd been asleep for a full day? He suddenly remembers something. Marley said the first ghost would visit him at 1 a.m. Scrooge lies there until the appointed hour. As the clock strikes one, a light appears in his room. A hand pulls the curtains that hang around his bed aside, and Scrooge finds himself face to face with a strange being. This figure looks like a child and an old man all at once. His hair is white, but face is unlined. It has muscular arms and hands, but dainty legs and feet, and its form is constantly shifting. The creature is cloaked in white, and a stream of light springs from the top of its head. In its hand, it holds a cap that looks like a candle extinguisher. Scrooge asks the figure if it is the spirit Marley promised. It replies in the affirmative and introduces itself as the ghost of Christmas past, specifically Scrooge's past. The ghost commands Scrooge to come with them. They then leave Scrooge's room and reappear on a country road. 
Scrooge recognizes the place instantly. It's where he grew up. A rush of memories fills Scrooge's thoughts and he begins to weep a little. As they walk, Scrooge recognizes landmarks and boys he once knew shouting Merry Christmas to one another. At last, they come to Scrooge's old school, a dismal old place. Inside, they see a young Ebenezer Scrooge, left all alone on the holiday. Scrooge then recalls the boy who came to his door yesterday and finds himself wishing he had offered the child some kindness. Scrooge and the ghost travel a bit further into the future. The school looks even more grim, and younger Scrooge appears a bit older. He is still alone until suddenly the door opens and a girl appears. She rushes to Scrooge, kisses him, and tells him she has come to bring him home for Christmas and tells him that he won't have to return to that school afterward either. The girl is his sister, Fan. Scrooge tells the ghost that Fan died as a young woman, leaving a child behind, his nephew, Fred. They leave the school and travel to the place where Scrooge learned his trade. Inside, they see his old teacher, Fezziwig. They watch as the young Ebenezer and his fellow apprentice, Dick, prepare the warehouse for a Christmas party. Soon, the guests begin arriving. Some are Fezziwig's employees. Others are working-class people from the neighborhood. Servants and cooks, the baker, the milkman. Everyone dances and enjoys themselves. And at the end of the night, Fezziwig and his wife wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. The elderly Scrooge and the ghost listen as Ebenezer and Dick praise Fezziwig and his generosity. The ghost questions the worthiness of their feelings. After all, it's not like Fezziwig spent much money on the evening. Scrooge protests. They don't love Fezziwig because of the money he spent. They love him because he's a kind employer who does all he can to make sure all those around him live pleasantly rather than burdensome. Suddenly realizing what he is saying, Scrooge wishes he had the chance to say a few more words to his own employee, Bob Cratchit. The ghost then takes Scrooge to another scene from his past. Ebenezer is still relatively young, but something in his demeanor gives a hint as to the old greedy man he will become one day. He's speaking to a beautiful woman, Belle. She tells him that he no longer loves her. His only real desire now is for making money, Belle realizes that Ebenezer would never pick her, a penniless girl, as his bride if he had the choice today, and she releases him from his obligation to marry her. And when Ebenezer fails to protest, Belle tells him that she wishes him happiness in his chosen life path. Scrooge is shown one final scene. He sees his ex-fiancee sitting with her daughter as other young children play nearby. A man enters and passes out Christmas presents to his family. Scrooge thinks about how, if he had chosen otherwise, he himself might have enjoyed that life, sitting with his wife and children around the fire. He listens as the man tells Belle he saw her old friend Ebenezer that day and comments on how alone he seems. Scrooge begs the ghost to take him away. In his desperation, he grabs the ghost extinguisher light cap and pushes it into the apparition's head. The figure then disappears, but its light continues to burn. He's suddenly back in his room, and Scrooge tumbles onto his bed and falls into a deep sleep. A quick word from today's sponsors. You're back, and this is A Christmas Carol. Scrooge awakens once more. As the clock strikes one, he sees a light coming from the next room. Scrooge climbs out of bed to investigate and finds the adjoining room transformed into a Christmas wonderland. 
Seated on a throne, compromised of holiday foods, is another spirit, the ghost of Christmas present. This ghost is a large, bare-chested, cheery figure, cloaked in green. He has curly hair and is crowned with holly. He commands Scrooge to grab his robe and conducts him onto the streets of London. It's Christmas morning. Passerbys engage in snowball fights and enjoy the sights and smells of the beautiful shop windows. The church bells ring and the people line up at the baker's shops to have their Christmas dinners cooked. The ghost takes Scrooge to the home of Bob Cratchit. Inside, Scrooge and the ghost watch as Mrs. Cratchit and two of their children, Belinda and Peter, prepare their holiday meal. Bob's oldest daughter, Martha, arrives home first for Christmas. Next comes Bob himself, carrying his youngest child, Tiny Tim. When Mrs. Cratchit talks about their time in church, Bob tells his wife that Tim, who is disabled and ill, said that he hoped that when people see him, they're reminded of Jesus' miracles, particularly of Christ's healing. The family enjoy their small feast and then afterward sit together around the fire. Scrooge, gazing at the feeble tiny Tim, asks the ghost if he will survive. The ghost tells Scrooge that unless the Cratchit's circumstances change, Tim will die. When Scrooge protests, the ghost quotes Scrooge's own words back to him. If Tim dies, won't it help solve the problem of overpopulation? At this, a guilt-ridden Scrooge hangs his head in shame. Bob proposes a toast to Scrooge in honor of the day and the family reluctantly drinks to his health. Scrooge realizes that for these people, he is an odious figure. The ghost then shows Scrooge Christmas celebrations all over the world. Scrooge watches as even the poorest take cheer from the holiday. Next, Scrooge and the ghost appear at Fred's house, and Fred is telling the company about his Uncle Scrooge's feelings about Christmas. Fred says that he pities his uncle. Money doesn't make the old man happy, and his dislike of Fred and his wife hurts no one but himself. Fred, his wife, and their friends laugh, enjoy food, play games, and the ghost looks over to see that Scrooge is enjoying himself immensely, despite the fact that none of the company can see or hear him. And afterwards, Scrooge and the spirit visit more places, jails, hospitals, workhouses, sick beds. Everywhere they travel, the joy of Christmas is apparent. And during this, Scrooge notices that the ghost of Christmas present is aging. The apparition explains that his time is almost finished. But before he leaves, he shows Scrooge two monstrous-looking children. He introduces them as want and ignorance. They are the result of mankind's determination to close their eyes to those who need a helping hand. Scrooge frantically asks if there is any help for them. And the ghost once more quotes his own words back at him. Isn't that what prisons and workhouses are for? The clock strikes midnight and the ghost of Christmas present vanishes. Then, a silent, black-cloaked figure now appears. Scrooge asks if this is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. But this ghost does not reply. The figure fills Scrooge with fear and horror. But nevertheless, he bids the ghost will show him what he will. The ghost takes him to the heart of London's financial district, where Scrooge spies on many of his colleagues. A group of men stop and talk about the death of a rich man. The men agree that they will attend his funeral, but only if lunch is provided. Next, the ghost takes Scrooge to a less reputable part of town, 
inside a grimy shop, a laundress, and an undertaker's helper gather to sell some stolen goods. They show the buyer the articles they have taken from a dead man who had no one with him when he died. Scrooge listens in disgust as the items are sold off. Spirit, said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. I see, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. Merciful heaven, what is this? Scrooge recognizes the lonely corpse's fate might easily be his own. When suddenly, the scene shifts. They're in a room with a corpse, which is covered by a sheet. As he looks down at the body, Scrooge hears a voice in his head remarking on how, though death is unavoidable, when a generous, well-loved person dies, their good deeds live on. Scrooge asks the ghost to take him to any person in town who truly feels something about the man's death. The ghost transports him to the home of a poor family who express thankfulness that the person who held a debt over their heads is dead. Next, the ghost takes them back to Bob Cratchit's house. There, Scrooge observes the family in mourning, not for the dead man, but for Tiny Tim. Scrooge finally asks the ghost to tell him the identity of the dead man. The ghost then takes him to a cemetery and points him toward a grave. Scrooge begs the ghost to tell him if the things that he has seen are fated or if they are only what might occur. The ghosts remain silent. And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with A Christmas Carol. Approaching the grave, Scrooge looks down to read his own name on the headstone. Falling to his knees, he implores the ghost to give him the chance to prevent the events he has witnessed from occurring. Scrooge promises he will not forget the lessons the three ghosts have taught him and will honor the spirit of Christmas every day of the year. As he speaks, the ghost disappears, and in its place, Scrooge sees his own bedpost. He's back home. Scrooge is overjoyed to find himself alive and well. Scrooge dances and thanks God, the ghosts, Marley, and the Christmas season. He throws his window open and sees a boy outside. Scrooge asks him what day it is, and the boy replies, it's Christmas Day. Giddy at this news, Scrooge offers the boy a large sum of money if he will deliver the prize turkey hanging in the butcher shop window to the Cratchits. After shaving and dressing, Scrooge wanders the streets, smiling at one and all. He is delighted when people wish him a Merry Christmas. Suddenly, Scrooge sees one of the two men who came into his firm yesterday. He immediately offers the man a large donation. Afterward, he walks to his nephew's house. Fred is both surprised and gratified to see his uncle, and Scrooge enjoys a wonderful Christmas with his family. And the next morning, Scrooge arrives at work extra early, hoping he can catch Bob arriving late. Bob does indeed come a few minutes past the hour, and Scrooge pretends to be angry. He tells Bob he refuses to allow this kind of thing to happen anymore which is why he plans to give Bob a big raise. Bob is so astonished that he momentarily wonders if his boss has gone mad. But Scrooge carries on, assuring Bob that he means what he says and intends to not only increase his salary, but to otherwise help his family. And Merry Christmas. Scrooge not only keeps his promises to Bob, he becomes like a second father to Tiny Tim, who lives. More than that, he becomes a good friend and an excellent boss. He never sees those ghosts again, but all who know him agree that he understands and lives the spirit of Christmas to the fullest now. 
May the same be said for the rest of humanity. And as Tiny Tim said, God bless us, everyone. And that is A Christmas Carol. This story really, at its core, is a redemption tale. And through these spiritual interventions, if you will, Scrooge is saved from a lonely life where the only thing that matters is money. And it's really interesting. The novella doesn't equate being rich with being immoral. It's just stating that wealth does become, quote, sinful when you fail to use what you have to help others. And it'll follow you into the afterlife. I always thought that image of Jacob Marley in his death being weighed down by accounting books and cash boxes was such a powerful visual. And I know you, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you think deeper about life, why you are here, what is your purpose, and what happens after this life. You aren't afraid to ask those bigger questions, and for that, I think you are very brave, because a lot of people don't want to think that deep. But we're not afraid to ask those bigger questions, are we? So I knew and hope that you all would enjoy this story. Please let me know if you would like any other classic stories on the podcast. You can leave those requests in the Apple Podcast Reviews or on TikTok, Instagram, email. All of those are linked below. I am always looking for suggestions from you all. I want to know what you want to see and hear. And most importantly, Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. I hope you have a really great week and a fabulous holiday. Until next episode, this is Avery After Dark.